Welcome to Maximum Octane and your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution in the automotive industry. I'm your host, Kim Hickey, former shop owner turned industry educator, speaker, and entrepreneurial motivator. Each week during our ride together, you will hear unfiltered stories of inspiration and transformation shared by successful business owners and CEOs. Their experiences will motivate you to do things you never thought possible, encourage you to reach your full potential, and help you to exchange unproductive habits for productive ones. While many of my guests will be related to the automotive industry, it's crucial in the world of tomorrow that we stop being silos and we open our minds to ideas and inspiration from other industries as well. We also know that to be truly successful in business, you must have a healthy work and home life balance. All of my guests are handpicked with these crucial elements in mind. Our industry is evolving by the second, and we need to as well. Buckle up, because here we go. Welcome back, Maximum Octane. This is your host, Kim Hickey. I am back from Puerto Rico, so we, we are back to recording from my home studio, as you probably can see from the background. I, I had a little, um, call it an incident, when I was in Puerto Rico that required 17 stitches, so... Things are that were supposed to get scheduled there didn't. So thankfully, Mr. Drew Bryant was kind enough to reschedule with me and do it from our home state of Florida. How are you, Drew? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Drew is the owner and operator of DB Orlando Collision in, take a guess, take a guess where he is, Orlando, Florida. So we were just discussing I-4 for a minute and I have a lot to say on that. I could do like a whole podcast on I-4 and what happens. (laughs) Is I-4 just the best thing that ever could possibly happen to a collision business? You got that right. It's definitely good for business. That's for sure. I bet it is. There are more accidents on that road that has to, I haven't looked up the stats, but that has to be one of the most uh, driven and accident things roads in the i would say in the entire country i'm not sure yeah when the news when the news, when the news has to change the routes in the morning because of exits closing and and and, and moving your daily commute you know that, that everyone's aware of the problem right <laughs> that yeah if that's featured on your daily news that, that that would be a good indicator that maybe something needs to uh change over there but yeah, we'll exactly. see. in the meantime it's great. It's it's great for business. So I'm pretty excited to have you on this morning. Um, you just did a roundtable session at our super conference and spoke to a packed house for both of your sessions. So how did that feel? No, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, getting up and uh, kind of getting around my mouth for a little while and influence others. And uh, the feedback that I got was, was overwhelming. So I really appreciate it. Uh, Everyone, uh, you know, there's a lot of options there. And, and the fact that I had full rooms both times, I, I, I love it. Every time I do anything remotely close to, to that environment, it, it's just like this. I, I get this energy built up that I nothing. I haven't experienced anything else that gives me the same relative feeling. So I, I enjoy that. That's awesome to hear. And clearly from everything that I heard, I unfortunately had to miss it because of the incident, but um, I I just heard just glowing reviews. And I want to make sure that everybody listening doesn't tune out because they heard collision if you're on the mechanical side, because Drew's strategies and and 
take on business and how to move forward with things is, is universal to any kind of business, regardless of, of what you are in. So what's an unproductive habit? Because I always like to ask that and I, I get going and talking with people and then I, at the end we run out of time. So I'm going to start asking that in the beginning now, but to be where you are today, you've had to make some changes, I'm sure over the years. So what's an unproductive habit you had that you changed and, and helped you? Unproductive habit. I, I would say, personally, it was more on the, the my morning time, my morning routines. Okay. The amount of uh, the amount of energy and time that was wasted in the morning, maybe just in transition or not preparing for the day of. Um, I'm pretty intentional with my mornings now, and I feel like, uh, as far as going to bed, you know, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a big believer in the morning miracle. And uh, I, I live portions of that book. So pre-toothpasting pre my toothbrush, uh, leaving a cold bottle of water when I wake up, um, when I'm kicking out of bed and, 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 and getting the day started, you know, the, the, the morning time for me being uh, far more intentional with it just sets up for a better, uh, better pace of the day. It's probably my biggest impact that I've, I've seen that seen change over the last decade of, uh, in business, right? That is hardcore pre-pasting your toothbrush at night. We'll have to we'll have to talk some more about that. Um, when you make changes like that to your routine, your morning pre-pasting your toothbrush, whatever it is, sometimes I hear from people they they try to just you know they read a book or they go to a webinar or a, a roundtable and they hear like 500 things and they're like I'm going to start doing all that tomorrow. And they try to implement all these things at once, and then they wind up failing. And is it more about the process or how much they took on than it is that these systems don't work? Yeah, I think I think it's you know with anything, if you're trying to implement so many things at one time, there's really you really have nothing that you can aim and, and or really hone in on um, seeing if it's going to work for your schedule, if it's best for you or whatnot, right? I'm a big checklist guy, right? So if I go to any conference, if I hear of any, uh, read anything in a book that's relative content or um, generally the, the stuff that overlaps, you know, that, that's residual from different books or different content, different podcasts, then I try to take that information and I will, uh, I'll, I'll put it on the list. And then as I choose to implement or change new things, I'll say, all right, let's, let's take a few things off the list and put those in play and focus hard on those. Otherwise, you know, I don't know if it's more depressing or daunting to look back at all the things that you you tried to put in play and then only, it only lasted a few weeks. And, uh, you know, what kind of uh, other people potentially end up kind of observing that over time and realize that, uh, you know, you're practicing the flavor of the week, just like you're trying to prevent them from doing. Right. Yeah. I, it's just it's crazy how often I, I see that or hear it. And People are so quick to chalk it up to whatever systems and processes, and it's. I always invite them to think about, you know, was, was how many did you implement? Did you really try? Did you, you know, all of those things before you throw away the the whole concept of it? So, speaking about processes and all of that, want to share a little bit about your what you think about the importance of the policy procedure onboarding and those processes? So I think, I think in general, as, as shop owners, we are, we tend to underestimate 
the importance of a true orientation. And, uh, you know, I don't think that I would have valued an orientation so high if, uh, if I wasn't in a position earlier to be responsible for one at such a high level. So, uh, you know, to kind of go back a little bit, my, my responsibility at Panera when I worked there um, as a training manager, I was responsible every Saturday morning in a hotel room to do orientation for all anybody coming into the company, whether you were a dishwasher or a director level position, you had to spend uh, six hours with me on a Saturday morning in a, in a, in a conference room explaining about, uh, you know, the culture the mission and what we, what, what Panera was all about and doing that so redundantly, right. It really, I just kind of embodied the company and believed I, I bled Panera at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was just instinctive for me to roll it in. And I think we're so concerned with, the, you know, what the customer thinks of us or how we look at our market or what our competitors are doing versus what we're doing. And we really undermine the importance of just what our people believe they're doing, right? And and what they believe in and, uh, you know, our true, our core why behind it is what we do. And all that stuff can really be, if you've, if you've already identified it, it can be maintained and, and really fast pace, put put into play in a, in a structured orientation. And then, and then it's sustainable over time if it's embedded within the onboarding of the people. And then, you know, naturally, after we kind of process past orientation, everything becomes expectation, right? And if, if you're in an environment where we're, we're training people regularly and, and we're managing all different personalities all at the same time in, in different departments and different, you know, areas of, of stress levels and things, the clearer that we can be operationally to the people um, that are responsible for executing the day-to-day the more confident they're going to be, um, the more certainty they're going to operate under, and, and the more more efficient and productive they're going to be for the overall organization. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm big on on really consolidating what those expectations are and 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 putting them uh, in places of of easy reference. Right? You know, if you go to the bathroom anywhere in our in my shop in all six bathrooms, the fundamental of of, of image is on the wall you know, while you're in the restroom. So when you're tucking your shirt back in and, and, you know, tightening your hair back up before you go back in, you have that, that constant reminder, you know, production area is, 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 you know, the fundamentals of about numbers and, and the importance of them are over there. So it's all relative information. That's at a, it's at a quick glance at an arm's reach, an easy reference. So if you ever have that moment where you're, you're dealing with a new team member, you're dealing with an apprentice, you're, 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 you're coaching somebody that maybe is getting a little off base. The area in which they're in the environment and what they're working in is supporting them with the resources that they need at, at an arm's, arm's reach. I love that. And I love about the visual cues because you are part of your surroundings, right? They always say what, who surrounds you, what environment surrounds you makes a big difference. Why do you think, Drew, because you have experience obviously running Panera's on a high, pretty high level, and then also now independent shops. And one would think that it would be a lot easier to convey the why with a very small group because it's personal and you're there and you have boots on the ground versus a big corporation. But a lot of times I don't see that. And it's so why do you think Panera with so many people can, can instill and convey that why? But small business owners really have a challenge with that. 
Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question, and I, I think that the the big thing with Panera and, and and you know they were big on quality and all the things that any typical company would say that they do, but what they were willing to go to the the, the level at which they were willing to go to to ensure that quality was met uh, was was pretty substantial and impressive down to the bread that the sandwiches were made on for them, right? They were always concerned with the, the, the ingredients and, and those kind of things. Whereas I think in traditional, you know, just restaurant environments, um, eventually that ends up getting lost in the sauce. And I think what we can take, regardless the size of the company, just from a macro level, is that all those little details matter. And if we do all, you know, the concept would be, you know, doing a hundred things, you know, 1% better than, than one thing, hundred percent is what they, what they say. Right. So, you know, Panera is really good at that and, and setting expectations to the customers. You know, I remember formally in the orientation, you know, part of what I would tell them is if somebody came in and asked, um, for French fries, right. We would, the answer would be yes, no problem. And then figure out what, what to offer them alternative to that. Right. But we never, they set expectation to never tell the customer no. Not that the customer was always right, but it was a, yeah, sure. And then, oh, unfortunately, I realized, you know, maybe we don't have that. And in our world, we've got to be, we've got to be comfortable to be able to turn away a customer that potentially is not ours. But it's, it's really got to be defined and clear to the people that are responsible on the front line on what the company position is. And there was no gray area in the world of Panera, you know, that. That franchise was 900 stores, but those philosophies that I was able to kind of absorb and embody in, in, in that period of time, I never even realized how valuable they would be in an independent, you know, business environment, let alone shop or whatever the business may be, right? Oh, you're just making my heart sing, Drew. Okay, so when, I guess, what would you say to small business owners? Because I hear it all the time when we speak to them about, you know, needing standardization, needing SOPs, needing the same time, the same, you know, customer experience. And the pushback is a lot of times on small businesses. I don't want to be corporate. I have a small business. I, I just tell people what I don't need it in writing. What, I mean, holy cow, it makes me crazy. What, what advice or what would you say to those people? Uh, you know, you owe it to the people within the operation and the consumers if you're planning on, even if you don't plan to scale, just from a stress level management to have some standard operating policy and procedure. And, uh, you know, it's got to be in a way to where it can formally be implemented. They've got to have easy access to it, whether it's digitally and or on the wall. You know, a big thing when it comes to process development and implementation that I get, especially from shop owners, um, it's, they're, they're always so hard up on where to start. It's like, well, it's been a year since I talked to you last. How's it going, Jim? You know, have you made any progress? Well, no, we haven't really. We're just waiting for that one opportunity to start implementing, right? And, and they really don't have a clear understanding as to where to start. And the key there, in my opinion, is to focus on a structured, standardized way of communicating amongst the entire store. And within any business, you know, real successful businesses that have been able to scale to, to un, you know, unforeseen levels and or 
maintain at whatever targets they're wanting to maintain at, they all have a very structured way of communicating. And if you can record the the day-to-day feedback, whether it's the hurdles, the trials, the the, the tribulations within each department, and, and put somebody in charge to record, write those things down, whether it's you know in, in, in some sort of list or um, some sort of a document, whatever it may be, that information from the day-to-day, that, in, that, that feedback is going to give you the roadmap on where you need to begin implementing new process and procedure. It's going to allow you to identify policies and procedures that maybe need updated because of growth. You've added team members and, and things have changed to where now others are absorbing more workflow that should be better balanced. Uh, it's going to help you understand new policy and procedure that needs to be created because of you know a change in the business model or whatever the case may be. But truthfully, if you just listen to the people it's that, that work for you, they're going to be able to, to, to speak to you. But you can't ask them. You can't sit them down Tuesday and, or a random and just say, hey, where do you think we should focus? They're not going to know. If, they're, if, they're, if you're training them to just dump their emotions onto a piece of paper, then you can logically sit down under structured time and identify, you know, where, where the attention needs to be. And I think that all of it needs to be done in the mindset to where what's in the best interest of the customers, the people that work within the business, and the business financial health long-term is that it's not reliant upon the people that work amongst within the business, but it is reliant upon their ability to implement company policy and procedure. And the clearer the company policy and procedure can be, the more impactful of an experience that they're going to have on a consumer because of the consistency and the standardization of that. If you're reliant upon the people that work within it, then the, the business model is, 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 you know, the ebb and flow of business and, and the, you know, going and coming of people and retention, it, it's, it's just going to impact the overall customer experience and you're going to have inconsistent results long term. So before I start getting hate mail um, that Drew said, we don't have to worry about the people. It's all about the processes. That's not what he said. He said, if we have the processes, we're arming our people with what they need to have consistent things. So sometimes the listeners get, they start going a little wonky, Drew, and they pick out a couple different things. And so there's that. All right. What about org charts? I know you're a big believer in them. I'm a big believer in them. And again, so many times when I speak to small business owners, they say, we don't need an org chart. There's only five of us or 10 of us or 20 of us or whatever. We know what everyone does. What the heck? What, how do you get somebody that doesn't see the value in an org chart to think about that? Yeah, org chart, uh... You know, for me, going back to the beginning, Keith Manich uh, buried this in my brain, but uh, it's a plan, and I've always used it as such. And it, it was uh, it was the roadmap to get to the vision. So when I, you know, traditionally when, when we started, I, I, I put my name in all the places, and then from there filled them and prioritized whoever needed to hire accordingly. And, it, and it's ironic that today, even at the scale of the, the business as we grow. I do it. I do things no different. We just literally closed last week on a building three times the size of what we currently operate out of. I couldn't be more excited. But the very first thing that we did, uh, or I did, with that with that building prior to mapping out the floor, prior to deciding where the equipment would go, what process we would need, 
um, I pulled an org chart out and, and wrote out what I want it to look like. Who's going to be where, what departments are going to be there, how many people are going to live within those departments, and how many people would we need to be able to um, accomplish the, 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 the metrics and the targets that we were after. Uh, once you see that on paper, it's a matter of just executing the plan the rest of the year and checking those boxes. Anything that needs to be hired, it says, you know, to be determined and or to be to be hired. And when we're when, when we're putting people on our bench and, and we're looking to interview, we're intently looking for a specific individual to fill the gap within the org chart. So it really gives, um, once again, good clarity and, and kind of hones in with some blinders on on what our plan is and who we're hiring versus hiring to figure out where they'll fit in. Yeah. I, I love that. The, the org chart, it just is so many positives to it. One, as you stated, it's a plan. It's also wonderful when you're recruiting and hiring and onboarding someone to say, here's our org chart. These are the positions that are in our company and these will be available in this, you know, we're planning on expanding in this year. So these positions are going to open up and it, and it helps to give people a career path if they're interested in that as well, which, you know, every industry in the, in the world right now is struggling for finding good quality talent and attracting them and, and having a career path and, and an org chart and things laid out is, definitely a key for that they don't nobody wants to go somebody the rock stars that everybody's looking to hire doesn't want to go and work for some place that doesn't have procedures that doesn't know what's happening next week that doesn't know where can i grow in this company do you do you see that with the people that you're attracting yeah most definitely and and i think having i think there's an, there, within our industry people just they underestimate the opportunity, and we know that in the tech shortage and yada yada. But I mean, just recently, to give you an example, I was on the phone with a representative of the state, uh, and, and they're intrigued about our apprenticeship programs and the success that we're having with the colleges and the scholarships and things that we're doing on the local market. And they're reaching out, basically saying that there's, you know, an opportunity of untapped state funding for OJT and, and job placement and things, and as I'm talking to the lady, we're going through things, and I exposed the org chart to her. She was just blown away at the amount of administrative positions and, and, and that she was able that she could fill and help us with, and really create that further opportunity that she was never considering prior to getting on the call with me. She was literally going, "Okay, detailers, disassemblers, right, uh, tech, technical level people." And then she started looking at all the clerical positions and, you know, the CSRs and, and, and CSMs and the admins and negotiations and all of, all of the other um, jazz that uh, I feel like if I didn't have that org chart, it would be on me to explain the opportunity. Having a visual to be able to show to somebody, I think, really just kind of defines the opportunity. You, you bring up an excellent point. I know when I had my shop, I used to spend a lot of time going to the schools from kindergarten up, actually preschool up, and bringing things to try to attract kids and, and let their parents know your child can have a very lucrative career in the automotive industry. And, you know, they're not the, the stereotype grease monkeys that, you know, is, it's not for the people that are good with their hands, but not too bright, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And 
I would bring some of our marketing things and the stack of accounts payables, receivable and other things. And they all would be so shocked that there was other things and other positions in the industry besides fixing a car or, you know, doing body work. Somehow they, people think that the automotive businesses run without anybody doing marketing, without anybody paying bills, without anybody driving people home, without, you know, people to clean their biz, the building without. Uh, so apparently the, the general conception is, uh, uh, is just that they, or perception is that, you know, there's somebody leaning over a car all day and then that's it. You know, there's, there's nothing in between. <laughs> and it's crazy because with it, your shop is your shops are one of them. I mean, we have some really high level marketing campaigns and, and strategies, you know, for finances, for all kinds of things and hiring an HR and all of that. So it's crazy that people don't understand there's there's that piece of it too. How exciting though for the state. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Wonderful. It. I think that uh, I think there's going to be some opportunity for both of us there, and uh, and if I have, you know, if we can push more people through here and, and impact more lives, I, I, I honestly, I would, I would, I would enjoy that more as well. And if I can do that with no additional residual expense to us, my goodness, how does it get any better than that? <laughs> it doesn't, right? So let's swing back to onboarding for a minute because. That is, I, I think with all, regardless of the industry, most small business owners, because they think of themselves as a small business owner, that is usually the, we'll just call them technicians per like the E-Myth book, but they're usually the person doing the work and then they decide I'm going to start a business. Yours is a little different. You didn't start a, a sandwich um, and, and, and restaurant thing, right? You went to this, but they don't think of themselves as an owner, as a CEO of a company, and they don't think it's a big deal to onboard because they don't think of their business as a big deal. It's almost like a side gig they're working on. How do, I mean, how much time do you spend onboarding your people? So anybody that comes into the store, um, they've got a, they, they're presented with a, obviously, you know, uniforms, a hats, whatever the case may be, but they, they've got a, a, an entire training manual. And it starts from the orientation through you're no longer, you no longer need to stay in this position. It's time for you to look at the next position up, right? And it's, it's a roadmap of that entire, the entire position. And I think that so early in the relation, when you're able to communicate and show them the confidence that here's the opportunity, here's the plan, we have a plan. And, and the only thing, the only variable here is your ability to comprehend and implement this, right, is is what's holding, is the stopgap from you to reach the next level. And, you know, your ability to get there is is all contingent upon you. When when you're able to begin, it, it's in, embedded within there is a training schedule, right? There, there's, oh, it's time for them to train on X module. It's time for them to do, you know, meeting with the coach. Whatever the circumstance the case would be, obviously dependent upon the department. You know, you're you're explaining to them uh, main office principles. You know, and, and within the orientation on there, it's not even about here's Javier and he's going to walk you through today and tell you what what you know. It, it literally gives Javier a script that says walk the team member to the parts department and explain the importance of X, Y, and Z. Go to the main office and explain that 
if a car is on fire and a customer is in the front office, that's what we have fire extinguishers for. You don't interrupt the main office. We, we control that oasis of an environment as a stress-free. And those are so important to us that we tell you that on, on first day. And then when they get to the end of that manual and or, you know, throughout their career here, their time, it's a, it's a progress report. We're able to see, are they being held accountable by their team leads by using it? We define that we don't refer to anybody within the store as employees or, um, you know, everybody here is a team member and they're a member of a team. And we, and we use that verbiage and, and everyone refers to each other as that. Um, and so th- th- there's that common uh, kind of respect and, and mutual respect for everyone. Um, but they, they, they get the understanding that, and I hope, I hope that we can maintain this with our level of growth. But after your first day, you go home realizing that you're a part of something far bigger than what you initially signed up for. And, and the confidence that that, you know, breeds within people, you know, turns into loyalty. And, and there's, a, there's a sense of authenticity that comes along with it rather than people manipulating others through a sale you know, strategy or a script and not feel good about what they're doing and potentially consider another opportunity down the road for a little bit more money or a little bit better benefit packet because uh, you're, you're comparing apples to apples rather than giving the, the team, lead, team leads or team members something far more than just a paycheck. I hope that everyone listening to this really is taking notes and thinking of that because a lot of the training I see at most businesses is somebody just follows somebody around and watches what they do. And then when that person's on the phone or whatever, the trainees left standing, just staring, or I love when they put the big button that says, Oh, I'm, you know, please excuse me. I'm a trainee or I'm new and nothing instills more confidence in me than when I have, I'm being waited on somebody with this big button that says, Hey, don't, you know, like, wouldn't you like your doctor to walk in and be like, you know, I'm new, just, this is my first day. Don't, you know, cut me some slack. And people want to feel valued. I think at, at, at the heart of things, they want to feel valued. They want to feel like they contributed. They want to feel like they worked for whatever they're getting in exchange. And when we have them just following people around for a week sometimes without any clear direction or ways to check in or they start feeling that they're not pulling their weight, I think, and it, and it really turns people off sometimes because they want to. Most people want to do what they're supposed to do and, and participate and, and give back. Well, you are just a wealth of information, and, and I hope that you will indulge me and come back another time to talk more about this, because there is so much that we have to be learning from you, and um, I don't ever get tired of listening to you and your philosophies and, and how you're just changing our industry. I just, I'm in awe. I'm in awe, Drew. If I had my lighter here for my candles, I would be lighting my lighter right now. <laughs> but now I have a spark one, actually. I got them on Amazon. They're battery operated and it makes like, um, heats up a, a wire. So I'm high tech nice. now. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So that's what I light my candles with, too. I'm happy to get back on here anytime, Tim. Any, anytime at all. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words. Oh, it's it's. Believe me, I, I sincerely 
mean them from the bottom of my heart. So would you have anything closing that you want to make sure that our viewers and listeners are like, make sure you this? Yeah, if you're not if you're not formally communicating currently under under some sort of structured uh, format, you can't look back and at each each department and or each area of the business and have some sort of uh, log or feedback on uh, what your front office is is currently thinking, what what their hurdles are. I, I would suggest implementing something ASAP. Focus as you're working to implement policy and procedures uh, around the business that. Uh, if, if you're not planning to keep it consistent, repeatable, uh, and, and have the discipline to follow up on it, then uh, I, would, I would refrain from implementing it until you're prepared to do so and uh, focus on that morning routine. There's, there's a lot of opportunity there. I wish I had like pom-poms right now that I could just be like. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again for joining me. Everybody stay safe, make good choices, and stay inspired. And I will be back next week. And hopefully Drew will be back with us soon. So bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Optane, your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, or you just want to be a guest on my show, I want to hear from you. You can reach me directly at mlpodcast at autotraining.net. Thanks for listening and keep seeking information everywhere that you can.